hey, y'all look up here, people were moving, and somebody reminded me, they said, listen, when we sit down, give us a little time to get our glasses. So uh, hopefully we got our glasses and we're ready to, to move this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's before us this morning, um, was written uh, by the Apostle Paul, and he had, in writing it, he was writing to the Corinthian church, encouraging them to be generous givers. And uh, the reason for that is because there had been a, a problem of difficulty that had arisen in Jerusalem with the Jewish believers who were there. Great poverty began to embrace uh, Jerusalem and the, and the Jerusalem believers. And so what had happened is, is understand that there were many reasons for the poverty. One of the reasons really was actually a good reason, believe it or not. It was because of the rapid expanse and growth of the church. You remember what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? When, when Jesus sends the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. That day, 3,000 Jewish men, 3,000 men came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's 3,000, not including the women and children who came to faith as well. Shortly after that, we find that 5,000 people, that number grew to 5,000 men, plus women and children who came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a wonderful thing. But keep in mind that those that were coming to faith, many of them were not from Jerusalem. They had traveled to Jerusalem, in fact, uh, to be able to really take part in the feast of the Passover. And so they still remained there doing, during that time. And so what we find is, is that when they became believers in Jesus Christ, guess what? They didn't want to leave Jerusalem. They didn't want to go back from where they were at because there was no church there. There were no believers there. They wanted to be in the unity of other believers and be with the church. And they wanted to learn more about this Christ that they've come to receive and to accept as their Lord and Savior. And so they wanted to sit underneath the teaching of the apostles and submit themselves to it. So that was all a good thing. The problem is they had a limited amount of money with them. So eventually they would have to leave the inns. They wouldn't have enough money to pay for the inns that they were staying in. They wouldn't have enough money for food. So the burden really of taking care of them really rested with those believers who were in Jerusalem, who lived in Jerusalem, who worked in Jerusalem. And the Bible says and describes something amazing in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says that they were doing a great job of taking care of those other believers. They were selling things that they had in order to be able to meet the needs of those believers who didn't have. And the Bible says they did it to the extent that there was no need among them. Now that was true for a period of time until they no longer had anything left to sell. In fact, persecution began to grow in Jerusalem. And as it did in persecution, that many of those who lived in Jerusalem, those Jewish believers, began to lose their jobs, lose their families, lose their homes, and they too were impoverished. Well, Paul was not okay with this. He was concerned for that group of people. So what Paul determined to do was to call out to the other Gentile churches in Europe and in Asia Minor, and he began to write to them and even travel to many of them and letting them know what the need was for those believers in Jerusalem and requesting of them, will you give and will you give generously to them? One of the churches that he wrote to was the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1, verse 1 through 4, what we find there is that Paul is actually instructing and encouraging them to give. Here's what he said. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints. He's referring to the saints in Jerusalem. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Let me just read it for you. He says, I directed the church of Galatia so that you also are to do. 
On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no need, no, no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So there, he's encouraging them to give generously to those Christians that are suffering in Jerusalem. But what we find is that particular offering was never collected. Because what we find is before, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's a falling out between Paul and the church. You know the, the church at Corinth was very carnal, uh, very carnal. Uh, you know, they, we do not want to be like them, if you will. It's not the church that you really want to model yourself after. And there was a falling out, and they refused to follow the spiritual leadership and authority of Paul. Well, fortunately, over a period of time, they were able to reconcile one with another. He had sent another series of letters we don't have in the Word of God, but finally, everything was worked out by the time that he writes 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, in the first seven chapters, he's working and discussing some of those things that had come between them. Then finally, when you get to chapter 8, he brings up the issue of giving again reminding them again of the offering and the need that was in Jerusalem to encourage them to now take up the offering that he had originally asked them to be able to take up. And so what he does here is he doesn't just ask them to give generously. He actually gives them a picture. He's not commanding them. He's not commanding them to do this. He's just requesting, will you be and will you give generously? It's a request on his part to them. And so what he says is he gives them an example, and the example that he gives them is the giving that took place by the churches in an area known as Macedonia. Now, here's what I want to say. If you've been here for the last month or so, we've been doing a series here on stewardship, and we've talked at length about what stewardship is all about. We've defined what stewardship is. We've said that Jesus Christ owns us. He doubly owns us. He's not only created us, but he's redeemed us. That means everything we have is ultimately his. We've talked about fear, and we've talked about concern and worry and doubt and how that keeps us from, from being generous givers. And we, we talked quite a bit last two weeks about debt, and I've heard a lot of feedback about this, about how debt is, is really slavery, and how it's really a curse, and, and how it's difficult to live underneath that burden, that God wants us out of that. And last week, we spent a great deal of time of talking about what it takes to get out of that debt, and to be able to live debt-free and out from underneath that burden. But let me tell you this, we can learn all of that and know all of that, but unless you and I are generous givers, we cannot be good stewards of what God has entrusted us with. See, this is what I find. People will go through different financial teachings. They'll go through Financial Peace University. They'll go through Crown Financial. They'll do all these things. They'll get all freed up from all of their debt. They'll experience the blessings of God, but yet they still fail in the area of being a generous giver. We must be generous givers. If we have a God, if we are created in the image of God, look, we know that God is a generous giver, amen? Uh, we just experienced Thanksgiving, where we all sit around the table and torture each other by saying what we're thankful for, right? And we're about to be able to move forward to Christmas where we see God giving the greatest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ, and Christ giving of his life. It doesn't get any more generous than that. So if we are created in the image of God, and if we are now being transformed in the image and likeness of the person of Jesus Christ, then we too ought to be generous givers. 
And so the question, though, for us oftentimes is what does that look like? We need a model of that. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to use the Macedonians as another picture of what it looks like to be generous givers and what it takes to be generous givers that God has called us to be. So there's three things that we want to look at this morning. First of all, we want to see that generous giving is to be done with joy. Now, I know immediately when I say that, people sit there and go, huh, what? How can giving and joy be within the same sentence? Well, let's look at that just for a minute. Notice in the beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, we want you to know, brother, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, let me just catch something real quick so you get the feel of the letter. See how he uses the word brothers? When you study the book of First and Second Corinthians, you know that things are kind of tense between Paul and the Corinthians. Whenever he uses the word brothers, it means that he's about to introduce a sensitive subject. And isn't it just, you know, interesting that when he's about to talk about money and giving, he introduces it again with brothers. In other words, hey, here's a sensitive subject. Let's walk through this together as a family. And so he says to them, he says, brethren, he wants to what? He wants you to know. He wanted to make known something, which means that he's bringing something to their attention that they didn't previously know. And what is it that he wants them to know? He wants them to know the grace of God that had been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now look at that phrase, that grace of God. When we first think of that or hear of that phrase, the grace of God, what do we immediately think of? We think of God's grace towards us sinners. God giving us his son, Jesus Christ. God giving us eternal life, amen? That's what we think of. The grace of God is God bestowing grace on us. But here when he uses the grace of God, in context, he's not referring God's giving to us but he's referring to the church of Macedonia giving to someone else. The grace of God, extending the grace of God, one group of believers to another group of believers. And what he's talking about specifically is he's talking about the offering that they had collected, this this is the Macedonian church, for the Corinthian church. Now, this Macedonian churches, what they were is they were located in the northern part of Greece and made up primarily of three countries, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he says, you demonstrated the grace of God. They, They demonstrated the grace of God when they gave their gift. So it was when you and I give, what we're doing is we are extending the grace of God. They were extending and passing along the grace of God to other people. That's what giving is. But he shows not only what they were doing, but why they did it. Because they, they gave and they extended out the grace of God in giving and financial giving because they had, listen to this, they had received the grace of God. They had received God's grace, and so therefore what they did, they took that grace, and now they learned to bend it outwards to be able to give it to other people. Well, what did they receive? We'll find out in a minute that the Macedonians were not rich people at all, so they didn't receive great material blessings, but what they did receive is great spiritual blessings from God. And so at that point, they took the blessings from God and they bent it outwards to another group of people who were suffering and showed grace to those people. Those Jerusalem people had never done anything for the Macedonians, but they took the grace that God had received and they bent it out to other people. Literally, they are following what the word of God says when it says, freely you have received, now freely give. They have received greatly and bountifully from God, and now they're just taking in, in that same grace that God had given them, and he's bestowing it upon people. So that's what they did. That's why they did it. Now let me show you how they did it. 
The Bible says here, in the next part, he says in verse 2, for in the severe test of affliction, we're going to get to all that in a minute, he says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflow in the wealth of generosity in their, on their part. They gave out of joy, and not just joy, an abundance of joy. So they didn't do this under compulsion. They didn't do this in giving out of guilt. They didn't do it because they felt like they were being reprimanded, that, you know, this is just something we have to do if we're going to be good believers. No, they found great joy in their giving, in their act of giving to this other particular church. Now, so much so that if you look down just a little bit in verse 4, notice what the scriptures say. It says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now listen, this is extraordinary. In all the years of ministry, I've never had somebody come up to me and go, please let me give. Please, I want to give. Never had that. Let me tell you what I had kind of in the last week. Had some text, emails, phone calls, face-to-face, where when we talked about eliminating the debt for the church and the building debt, we had people go, brother, man, that's a no-brainer. That's right on. That's biblical. Let's pay that thing off. Let's join together. But you know what I did not have is people begging. I didn't have anybody go, man, please, whatever you do, whatever the vote is, I don't care if there's any no's. Let's just do it. Let's just pay it off. Can we just pay that thing off? You know what else I've never seen? I've never seen after the passing of the plates on Sunday morning, anybody ever stand up and go, pass it around again, brother. Pass it around again. And everybody else, amen, just one more time, just pass it again. It just usually hasn't happened. In fact, for many people, It's sad that they just don't experience any joy in their giving. They do give out of guilt. They do give out of compulsion. In fact, sometimes it's very painful for them. They know it's the right thing to do, so they do it, but it's painful. It's it's almost like them dropping their kids off for the first time to daycare. It's like they're talking themselves up and their kids up the whole time. Now, this is something that has to be done. This is what happens when we mature, son. This is, this is where we go, and we have to go, and we have to do this. And sometimes we don't like this, but these are the right things to be able to do. And this is going to be good for you, and it's going to be good for me. And so you take the little guy down there, and you, and you hug him, and you squeeze him, and, you, and you, it's hard to let go. And the person at the door is like, okay, let go of the child. Please let go of the child. Let, let go of them. They, they, sir, you're, you're upsetting. The kids are peeing their pants over. Let them go. You're setting everybody let them go okay son i love you know that i'll be thinking about you all day today and, and i'll be looking forward to the day that we again are, are embrace one another and come back together so long son go your way and folks that's exactly sometimes how people give when they're giving, they're in the same exact way. They're, they're thinking, oh, this is painful. This is hard. I don't want to be able to let this go. This is something I hope that I'm ultimately be able to be united once again. Be able to, but, but these, this is not how the Macedonians were. They had great joy in their giving. Now, my question, let, let's, just, let's just throw this out. For why in the world, for some people, is it so painful to give? When, when, when the Bible says that it is better to give than to receive, if that is true, why is it so painful? There's a couple reasons. I think, number one, one of the greatest reasons is because you still believe and think that the money and possessions that you have are your own. Many people will sit back and will we'll have this. I've worked hard for my money. I've worked hard for what I've done. 
I have specific skills and abilities and insights that have allowed me to be able to work, business sense that have allowed me to be able to make a lot of money. I've, I've done this. And the reason that it's painful is because you're still viewing the money that you have as ultimately yours. My question for you is, where did you get the skill and ability to make money to begin with? It was given to you by God. You cannot boast in yourself. You can only boast in God. He gave you the intellect. He gave you the ability, the business sense. He gave you the grace and the mercy to start a business or to have a job or to be given a skill that is be able to provide for you and your family. He gave you all of that because he made you. And if he's made all of that, then guess what? He owns all of you and he owns all that you ultimately have. When we view it that way, say, God, my gifts and abilities are yours. The gifts and abilities that I use are for you. God, they're not mine. They're yours. And all the money that I have, it's not mine. It's yours. Then it's not painful to give. It's joyful to give. Because you've freely been given. Now you and I have a heart to freely give. Listen, this is something that's awesome to me is last month. Now we did receive a a, a big gift. But even aside from the big gift that we had received... Our average was the highest average that we've had in the last nine years, the highest one-month average of giving that we've had in the last almost 10 years of this church. I don't know what it was before I was here. But just the average, apart from any large gifts, while we're preaching this series, the giving has been as high as it has ever been to Celebration Baptist Church. Now, that is awesome, and I want to rejoice. But let me say something. What was it given out of? If it was given out of a have to, or an ought to, or a feeling of guilt, or a feeling of shame, or hey, we just got to do this because this is the right thing to do, then that's not going to last. That's not going to last. What's going to happen is we're going to see the same thing that we've seen before. You see this increase, and then all of a sudden it just begins to kind of bog. Why? Because shame and guilt and those things are not an appropriate motivation of why we give. What is it? Joy. If you truly and honestly receive joy in giving, which is what the Macedonians did, do you know that God gives us a heart that gives, that we have joy in giving to other people? That's an appropriate Christian response to the grace that we've received to now be able to freely give. So what we need to do this morning is say, God, give me a heart of joy in giving. Amen? So if we're going to be generous givers, you have to have joy. And we're going to see and continue that, that, that growth and that increase in, in, in giving here at Celebration. If you're not a joyful giver, if it doesn't give you joy, it's not going to continue to do it. So that's something that we need to seek and to be able to pray for. Here's number two. Generous giving is not only to be done uh, with joy, but generous giving is to be done despite hardship. Now, this is where things are going to get a little bit nasty. Okay, right here, because this is going to be, have you ever noticed that the things that the Bible say are always contrary to our physical nature in in the world? It seems like he's upside down. You know, the whole first shall be last and last shall be first. You you know, that whole thing, everything is backwards. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be the servant of all. And and he's always backtracking everything. Well, this is where one of those things in our worldly view has to be turned around so that we submit to a biblical worldview, especially on this point. Now, here it is. Verse two, go back to that. He says, for in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflow in the wealth of generosity on their part. Two phrases I want you to mark. They gave what? During a severe test of affliction, 
and in the midst of what? Extreme poverty, those two phrases. Let me unpack these for you. What does he mean by the test of affliction? Well, the word affliction there literally means to be crushed. It's the picture of grapes being crushed in order to produce wine. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the great persecution the Macedonians were going through. When they were looking out for the Christians in Jerusalem and their persecution and their poverty, they themselves were under great persecution. In fact, we read about it in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, it says that some of the new Gentile believers, Jason and a couple other Gentile believers, they were literally pulled out into the streets, dragged through the streets by some Jews that were upset that they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14 and chapter 3 and verse 3. What he does there is he says, not only did you suffer at the hands of the Jews, he says, but they were also suffering at the hands of their own people, the Gentiles as well. So catch this. Have you ever had problems of your own? And when we have problems of our own, there's a tendency for us to focus on ourselves, focus on our own problems, and be completely blinded to the needs of those who are around us, but not the Macedonians. It would be easy to be able to say to the Macedonians, guys, you've got your own problems. Paul would say, you've got your own problems. Don't worry about anybody else. Just focus on getting yourself straight. You're being persecuted. But that's not what happens. The Macedonians sit there, and they are suffering greatly under great physical persecution. And yet they're sitting there thinking about those who are suffering halfway around the world. Now, that's the part, that's what they're facing, persecution. But they're also facing great poverty. Notice the next phrase, extreme poverty. Poverty, he calls it uh, here in the Word of God. And what it means is rock bottom destitution. Now, I need to make sure that we understand this. Poverty in America, get your mind, please, by the, by, by the grace of God, please understand there is a difference between how our government defines poverty here and what we mean in the Word of God as extreme poverty. There is, I read a statistic the other day that 87% of those who the government considers um, impoverished, have microwave ovens, satellite television, and air conditioning and heating, central heat and air in their home. 87% of those that the world, that the government says is impoverished. That's not the kind of poverty that we're talking about. Are you with me? We are talking about, and I understand that there are some cases, guys. Here, we want to meet those. We're trying to meet those. I'm not saying, but I'm just talking about poverty, no home, insufficient clothing to be able to save them from exposure, children dying because it was too cold or too hot or whatever it was, not being able to have enough clean drinking water, not being able to have enough food even to be able to sustain their life. That's the kind of place that we're finding the Macedonians in. That's where they ultimately are. They are greatly impoverished. But yet at the same exact time, the people that they were giving to were greatly impoverished. Now here's how my mind works. My mind works again, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I'm just trying to sit there and say, and I've even done this. In my mind, I'm sitting there and going, and I would want to, you would want to, you would sit there and say, let's not call the Macedonians. They've got problems of their own. They don't need to be giving to anybody else. Have you ever done that? I've done that. And and, and this this lesson and this message and this study has completely had to turn my worldview to what God's lenses were. There are times when people, even at the church, they'd say like, hey man, well, let's go ahead and give that. And I'd say, don't worry about giving to that. You've got a lot of financial problems. You've got a lot of financial difficulties. Don't be able to give. Do you understand that that mindset seems to be just the opposite of what the scriptures teach time and time again? 
In fact, th- this, is, this is what we ultimately see in the word of God. Th- this is how they gave. He says, for they gave according to their means. Let me explain this. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means. You can only give what you have. Does that make sense? I, I want some of you to be able to understand that because some of you have a gift of giving and you want to give it all, and that's okay. If God tells you to give it all, that's great. But for some of you, it's never enough. We just want to give more. And I praise God for people like that, but you need to understand the grace of God. You can only give what you have. That's it. You can only give what you have. And he says, they gave according to their means. But notice this. He says, and as I can testify and be on their means of their own accord. He goes, nobody manipulated them. Nobody wanted them. Nobody forced them or guilt tripped them to try to be able to give. They just gave out of their own means and beyond their own means. In other words, what I think Paul is saying is, you know, it would have been okay for us not to expect them to give anything. But the truth of the matter is, not only did they give, but they gave to an extent that none of us could ultimately believe it. We were shocked at their generosity of what these impoverished people were ultimately giving. It it blew us away, is what Paul is saying. But understand something. If we were to look at the amount that they were sending, Paul may not have been impressed. Listen, generous giving is not defined by the cost of the gift. Your giving is not defined by the cost of the gift. Get this, in, get this in your mind if you don't get anything else. Generous giving is not marked by the cost of the gift. How much is that gift? How valuable is that gift? It is marked by the cost for the giver. How much did it cost the giver to be able to give? It may be a small amount, but it may come to a great cost to that giver. That's generous giving. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. That's, that, that's the key there. Where do we see that played out in Scripture? One of the clearest places that we see it in Scripture is with Jesus and the woman who had the widow with the two mites, right? You know this story. If you don't, let me kind of play it out for you. Jesus is sitting over in the temple, and people are, they have coffers, six coffers there, big, huge coffers, uh, the big kind of vases type, vats type thing. And what people are doing is they're jars. How's that? All right, you're still looking like you're confused. All right, so like these big type jars, containers. Containers, all right? And so what happens is people are bringing their offering, all right? So they're bringing in their tithes and their offering. And so all these rich people are coming in and Jesus is watching this. And this this is an amazing thing to me. Uh, Look, I don't know who gives here. I don't know what they give. I don't know when they give. I don't know any of that. I don't wanna know, all right? I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know. Uh, Now, we do ask our financial secretary to look at people's giving when they're in particular places of service. If they're going to be an elder in our church or in our finance team, we need to know that they're being faithful in their giving, or else how can they lead? Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean that I know. I never look. We just ask, does it look like they are faithfully giving? Yes or no. That's it. I don't know. So if you think I know what you, I, I don't know. Here's the thing is, but Jesus knows, right? And so Jesus doesn't have any problem with this. So Jesus is sitting there, and he positions himself in a place where everybody's walking by giving. I mean, this is, this, is, this is completely politically incorrect, right? I mean, it should be complete solidarity. Nobody should know anything. Jesus is watching. And as these rich people are bringing, like, just a trunk load of goods and gold and silver and all these things, and they are dumping it into these huge vats, jars, okay, containers, all right? And they're putting them in these things, and you're just hearing it echo through the temple. Clang! Ooh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Did you hear that? Dude, that guy gave a bunch. Clang! And everybody is oohing and ah, and Jesus is sitting there 
Just still, really, just not very impressed at all. Then comes a widow. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, Jesus, it sparks Jesus' attention. And all of a sudden, she comes, and she has these two mites, which is, in our day, just basically a fraction of a penny's worth in even our today's value. And she takes the two mites, and she comes, and she puts it over, and she throws it into the container, all right? And she drops them in, and nothing. You don't hear anything. The people aren't impressed. Nobody's impressed except for one person, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He sits there and says, I tell you, this woman has given more than all the rest. They gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her need and her poverty. She gave out of her destitution. So what we're saying is, let's make very clear, when we're talking about being generous givers, we're not talking the fact that maybe you're a person who makes minimum wage. You don't have a great deal of money. We're not talking about huge, giant gifts. What we're talking about is the extent and the cost of each believer. That's what God is referring to when we talk about generous giving. And you know what's amazing to me? Neither Paul nor Jesus, neither one of them jumped up either to the Macedonians or to this woman and said, stop, don't do it. Stop, don't do it. You've got your own problems. You've got your own difficulties. You've got your own hardships. They didn't do it. They didn't condemn them. What did they do? They commended them. They rejoiced over their willingness to be able to give. And I'm repenting this morning. Let me tell you what I've done oftentimes. My mindset has always been this. Man, if the, look, if you just don't have very much money, then maybe you just need to pay. I've even given people advice, and, and I've struggled over this, where they sat back and they, and they thought to themselves, well, listen, I've got a lot of indebtedness, and out of compassion, a pastor's heart, I just sit there and say, well, look, just take care of you and your family. Don't, don't worry about anything else. Just worry about that. And I'm sitting there going, and you read the scriptures, and you're like, but that's not the heart of a believer. What he's saying is with the Macedonians, even in the heart of great destitution, the believer's heart can't help but to give. It might be so small, it might be so unimpressive, but it's generous giving is what God has ultimately called us to do. Third thing, generous giving, we saw first, is this. Generous giving is to be done with joy. Generous giving is to be done despite hardship. And third and finally, Generous giving is to be done as an increasing act of worship. Now notice verses 5 and 7. Verse 5, Paul writes, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So he's revealing to us why these people were able to give so sacrificially and so generously. They were able to give. Here's the key. You'll never able to be a generous giver unless you first give your whole life to Christ. Okay? Your whole life, not bits and parts. Listen, there, 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 for years, there was a false teaching that went around that said something like this. Listen, you can ask Jesus as your savior, but later down in life, at another point of your life, you'll finally make him Lord. So we can, we can receive eternal life, but yet we don't fully submit to Jesus Christ in salvation. So you can be saved, but later sometime in life, then you ask him to be your Lord of your life. You allow him to be Lord of your life. And then at that particular point, that's good. That's where God ultimately wants us to be. But you could be saved without allowing him to be Lord over all of your life. That's not the biblical definition of salvation. When you come and you submit to God in salvation in faith, you give your whole self to him. 
The Bible calls that Romans 12, verse 20. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your personal spiritual service. When I'm discipling guys one-on-one, one of the key things I keep throwing at them is this. Listen, Jesus can no longer be a part of your life. He's got to be your life. He's got to be in all aspects of your life. It's not just, it's not Jesus and in church and work and home. No, it's Jesus of home. It's Jesus in work. It's Jesus in my finances and over my finances. Do you get that? It's, he's everything. And that's what the Bible is all constantly saying. He is the Lord of all. And people say, yeah, but why of my money? Because that is what you love the most. And God wants us to be this generous giver. So understand, he gives himself. So he's telling the Corinthians, he says, guys, the way to be a generous giver is for you to give yourself fully and completely to God, just like the Macedonians did. Look, the Macedonians didn't have a problem with giving. Why? Because they sat there and said, I've given all I am to God. It's not hard for me to give my money to God if all is his. If all is his. And then notice this later on. It says, accordingly, verse 6, accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. What does he mean by act of grace? Giving, right? We've established that, right? Giving. He says that he should then go what? Finish and take up this offering that we've asked to ultimately be able to give. He says, but notice this. He says, but as you excel in everything. Now, here's the tricky part. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love, see that you excel in the act of grace also. Let's just break this down. Corinthian church, just very quickly, they had an abundance of supernatural gifts in Corinth. Notice a couple things that he says here. He says, as you, he goes, he says, um, he goes as you have what? Um, sorry, let me go back. He says, you have excelled in everything in faith. Let me tell you what I believe he says by faith. When he says by faith, he's talking about supernatural miracles and acts of healing that he was talking about that was going on there in the context of Corinth. Corinth. When he talks about speech, he's talking about the supernatural work of speaking in tongues. Uh, Then he talks about knowledge. He's talking about prophecies is what he's talking about there and having a word of knowledge. He He says, in all earnestness and in our love for you. So here's what he's saying. We identify that you are growing in all of these gifts You are excelling in all of these gifts. But then he says to them, and he says, but don't forget to excel in the act of grace also. What does he mean by excel in the act of grace? He means excel in the act of generous giving. Got that? You're growing in all these other spiritual gifts. It's funny. I remember taking a spiritual gifts test, and I remember somebody in the class the very first time. I was just a teenager at the time having a spiritual gifts test, look, you know, looking it out and looking through these things. And then all of a sudden, somebody sat there and they go, wow, you got the spiritual gift of giving to this one individual. They go, yeah, I just find myself giving. And the person jokingly, I think, sat there and said, praise God, I don't have the spiritual gift of giving. I'm glad I don't have that one. Instead, I've got one of these other ones. You know, praise God, giving is not my key. You know, if that's our approach, we're completely missing the point. When those particular gifts are mentioned within the word of God, do you know who those gifts remind us of? Jesus Christ. He was the only one who had them all perfectly. And it's interesting, even now after all these years, when I take a spiritual gift, the same ones that I had then are same, the primary gifts that God has given me. But it's hard sometimes because I'm kind of becoming all over the board with those giftedness. Why? Because I'm growing in likeness in the image of Jesus Christ. 
And what he says is, he says, look, it's great that you are doing all these things. It's great that you are excelling in preaching and teaching the word of God and leading your family, but you must also excel in the act of grace. You must develop in the practice of generous giving. Now, here's a couple things. How are we to give? And I'm going to sum up with this. How are we to give? There is a huge, really just kind of disagreement with people who, godly people, who preach on tithing, which is a tenth of what comes in needs to be able to go out to God. On the other side, there is what we call grace giving, where there are people sitting there saying, you know what, no, it's, it's, it, it's not, we're not bound to that uh, because that was in the Old Testament. This is kind of how the arguments go. For the person who uh, argues the tithe, they begin to argue things like this. Nowhere in the New Testament do they say that the tithe is no longer binding. They will say that sometimes the tithe, the tithe was given even before um, the command of Moses to tithe. They give one-tenth. Abraham tithe. Jacob tithe. We see it afterwards that Jesus, even in the New Testament, he even commends and tells the Pharisees that, you know what, you should have tithed in these other ways, except for you have denied the weightier things or rejected and ignored the weightier things of the law. So he's even commending them in a way that these things you should have ultimately done. So those are just kind of some of the arguments there. Of course, love to go to the book of Malachi, will a man rob God? And I've preached that here as well. On the other side, you have folks that say, no, the tithe is not binding. We are to give, but is to give by grace. And so what they will say is they say, listen, we are no longer, we are under grace, we are no longer under law. Therefore, the tithe is no longer binding on us. Instead, we need to find what the word of God says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says that we need to give according to how each person has determined in his own mind and his heart to give. Not from compulsion, not from guilt, but you determine what you're going to give and you're ultimately going to give. So the question that everybody wants to know, well, which one is it? Well, I have been studying the mess out of this issue, all right? And, 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 and I mean a mess out of this issue. And here is your pastor's final conclusion on the tithe versus grace giving. I don't really know for sure, all right? I don't really know for sure which of those it is. Here's how I reason through this, and you see if, if you can follow me the same way. I think, as a general rule, here, here it is. In summation, if the poorest Israelite was required by God, and I mean poverty as in their state of poverty, not the poverty in our society, was to, even with as little as they had, was required by God in his law to give 10% of what they had for the advancement of God's purposes. While under law, without seeing the fulfillment of the promises of the coming Savior, and without the power of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, then how much more should we under grace, living in the richest country in the world throughout human history, having experienced the fulfillment of the promises of God, and with the indwelling power of the Spirit, how much then more should you and I give generously? That's just how I look at that. See, here's my problem. Most of the people who have come to me and argued grace giving, have always argued from a point that they didn't want to give 10%. If they were to come to me and say, brother, we're under grace, and we need to give according to grace, 
which means we are not bound to the law. We are not bound to that 10%. We can go over and beyond because of the blessings that God has given me. I would sit there and say, brother, you do what God has called you to do. So how do we work this out? You gotta start somewhere. And some of you are gonna sit there and go, brother Mike, you know, look, look, look bottom line is, bottom line is you, that wasn't biblical or theological enough. Look, fine, fire me. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. Here's what it is. Here's the general rule that I would say. I would say then, that 10% is a great place for you to be able to begin. I think it's just a good general rule to be able to sit there and go, man, this is, this, this is a part of my money that we're gonna take and we're gonna give it to God and we're gonna give it to the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're gonna do. Now, let me, let me, sit, let me give you two warnings here. There are some of you here that we understand this, that you are so in debt up to your neck that honestly, there's no way for you. I mean, you have a lot of income coming in, but you've got a lot going out. And you are so indebted right now that you can't, there's no possible, okay. then what I would say is you look around, you cut everything you possibly can, and you begin to give wherever it is that you are. But what you do is, you don't sit back and go, well, that's enough. The idea is to excel in your giving. If you're sincere to be a generous giver, then you are going to look to get out of debt to free up as much money as you can to be that generous giver. My wife and I, let me just tell you, kind of, kind of, what, the, kind of what we follow, you don't have to follow this or not. Some people argue, should the money be given to the church? Should it not be given to the church? Let me just suggest a couple things to you. You are hard-pressed in the word of God to argue the point that you should not give to a church. You are hard-pressed. When the Bible is given, when people are bringing money, even in the very first part of the church, they're putting it and they're laying it at the apostles' feet. When we see them giving, even in this particular passage, what are they doing? They're bringing it together through the church and they're giving it through the church. Now, am I saying you can't give outside of the church? Is that a hill in which I'm going to die? No, but I'm just gonna be completely honest with you with a couple things. Let me tell you what my experience has been. This is not biblical per se, but I think it's consistent with what I've experienced through biblical lenses. Some people who sit there and say, well, we give, we just don't give to the church. First of all, I think 99% of them are lying. I've just had more people who've told me that later, but they came back and said, you know, we really weren't given what we were ultimately saying that we were given, first thing. There are some who aren't lying, who are giving to other things. I get that. So don't, don't get all cantankerous and angry and all that kind of stuff. You're giving to other things. I get that. That's fine. But let me say this as well. Sometimes people don't do it, and let me just say this, because they don't agree with how the money is spent. They don't agree with how the money is spent. Now, let me just address it. Is it okay in love that I address it? We're family. You might be visiting, and you're like, what in the world's going on? I've got to address it. Got to work this out. This is what happens when you're part of family. We don't approve of the way. Let me just say this. There is no way, and I say this from love, and I don't want you to think this in any way. We love every one of you. Never want to see anybody leave, but there is no way I could be a part of a church that I thought was fiscally not being responsible with God's money. If you think that the church is not doing an appropriate job through the oversight of the elders and through the finance team with your approval of that budget, if you don't think that that's the thing, and you don't agree with the way that the finances are, and you can't trust that, you can't trust the word of God that's being preached there. Let me give you one more thing. This is something that's lost today in the church. Unity is lost today in the church. The Bible says that we are supposed to use our gifts and ability for what? For the edification and the building up of the church. We have people even right now, I can tell you this, I met with somebody this last week who is in great, great need of finances. Your giving goes to those people in our own congregation who have needs. The Bible says as well, 
Whether you think that you shouldn't give it all or, or 10% or whatever, wherever you're thinking, it's clearly biblical that you should be given the church that you are a part of or that you are attending to. Why? Because the Bible says you will not muzzle the ox. Describes me as an ox. Isn't that nice? Great. All right. What does that mean? The ox is moving the wheel. He's making it possible for that person to be able to feed. And for them not to be able to feed that ox and starving them while that ox is doing the work to be able to feed them, that's what Paul says is completely unnecessary. He says the, those who are preaching through the gospel ministry of the word of God have a right. He says, I have a right to be able to be sponsored by those who come. Look, Somebody decided, said it like this, and I almost don't like this because they say, man, I've never gone to a restaurant and thought that the meal was going to be free. Now, the reason I don't like that is because they're trying to apply that to the church, and it just seems to be so nasty, you know? And, and the point is, is here's the deal, is it's more than that. If you're being fed primarily from a particular church, you have a responsibility to be able to support that ministry. Here's another thing. Guys, I just want to come together with you, to work together with you, to give together with you. Because we're together as a body of Christ. We want to see God move together. We want to see our money go in places and missions where we can work together. That's a part of the encouragement of being believers in Jesus Christ, not only helping each other, but to work to be able to give for other places. To be able to come into a church and sit there and say, well, I give all elsewhere, but I'm going to come and I'm going to eat here, and I'm not going to take part of the ministry here, and I'm not going to be a part of what's going on here. Guys, bottom line, I'm not going to say it's a sin. I'm just going to say it's just very unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. Do you understand that? So should we tithe? Should we not tithe? You determine that in your heart. You go back to the Lord. You define, as we talk today, what is generous giving in light of the grace that has been shown to us. And what grace has been shown to us? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've heard this a million times. Maybe it's the very first time. But I want to let you know that you are undeserving of God's grace and his mercy. But he loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place to pay for your sin so that the wrath of God would fall on him that you would escape the coming wrath and you would exchange your sins for his righteousness and you would be now be called a son of God and a child of God if you will repent from your sin and you will place your faith in Jesus Christ. You get that? Is that a reality in your heart? It was for the Macedonians. Eventually, and this is great, it will be for the Corinthians and I pray that it will be for the heart of our people. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We love you. We thank you. God, I pray that everything that was said was done by grace, was said in grace, was said in mercy, because that is my heart of hearts. God, a loving heart. God, let us be givers with joy. God, let us, please, dear Jesus, be givers that, that, that God, no matter what our circumstances, we are graciously giving. And God, may we grow and excel in generous giving, all because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand and will you respond to the preaching of God's word? I'll be down here, love to pray with you or for you, whatever it is. It may have nothing to do with this series.